Many investors have loved to hate UK equities in recent years, but in the last few months, this market has been turning heads once more. The prospect of a Brexit deal finally emerging has seen some unloved parts of the market perform strongly in the last month or two. And there's now an argument that UK stocks represent a bargain to be snapped up. That is, once we get through yet another general election. Welcome to this week's Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Dave Baxter, and joining me today is Oliver Brown, Investment Director at RT Brown. Oliver, thanks for uh, coming in today. Pleasure. You work on the MFM UK Primary Opportunities Fund, but this fund is perhaps slightly different from some other UK equity funds. So just for a bit of context, um, can you briefly go through what the fund does and just explain the different situations where you tend to invest? It is a multi-cap uh, UK equity fund, so we invest across the market cap spectrum, uh, typically companies uh, with market capitalizations in excess of 100 million, but of course we go right up to the, the large parts of the uh, FTSE 100 as well. What interests us is when companies are looking to raise money on the stock market by issuing new shares. So that is our catalyst to potentially consider an investment in a company. We also look at companies where there are large blocks of stock being sold down by what we call known secondary sell sellers. So, for example, uh, private equity may be uh, selling a, a block of stock. You may get uh, some forced sellers. Uh, you may get management uh, and founders also reducing their holdings. Now, the reason we like doing this is because when a company is raising money, raising, issuing new shares on the stock market, it has to put all available information out to the market. It has to put a trading statement out there. It's got investment bankers who are acting for it, who've done their due diligence. You've got the lawyers doing their due diligence. You've got us and other institutions also doing our own due diligence. So we can be as confident as we possibly can be that what we're buying into is what the company says. So that gives us, in our, in our view, uh, protection. There's no nasties sort of round the corner. We also uh, are typically buying in at a discount to the prevailing market price because one of the ways that companies, by issuing new shares, to tempt you into mm. buying these shares uh, is by issuing them at a discount. Um, so, again, we're buying a little bit cheaper than the typical investor, which gives us uh, some downside protection. And looking at those kind of elements of the, the market, so IPOs and um, other kind of cases where companies are looking to raise fresh capital. Um, how is the, as, as I mentioned, the UK market's been obviously quite out of favour for at least the last three years. How has that situation affected things like IPOs? And more recently, has there been any sort of kind of fresh developments? So yeah, one of our stated methods of buying companies is, is at IPO. It's, it's a relatively modest part of what we do, but we are very interested in companies that are floating on the stock market. Um, because often we think they are companies of have good growth profiles and you know do have the possibility of going on to be very very good investments as they grow their revenue and a growing sector as well so the ipo market uh, has been a little quieter this year but we have still seen um, some good quality companies float on the stock market and our belief is that where companies have got um, a good story to tell they've got good growth prospects and they're delivering on those prospects, then actually there is still money out there um, to support these companies. Sure, 
um, less money has been raised uh, at IPO uh, in this year. It's the lowest level of of money raised since 2012. Um, And clearly the political situation in the UK has has not helped this. Um, So the IPO market has been quieter, um, but the level of other fundraising, so already listed companies raising money, uh, I would say that has been a little quieter this year. But again, as I said you know, just now, uh, companies that are raising money for the right reasons have got the right story uh, and the right growth project, uh, trajectory, then certainly there are uh, still opportunities out there. So, um, and, and from our point of view, actually, it's quite a good filter. You have to be a good quality company to mm. raise money in these market conditions. No one's pretending these conditions are, are straightforward. Um so actually, you have to be a good quality company to meet uh, uh, to, to be able to raise mm. money, um, and you know actually these should turn out to be good investments for us. And, and again, we're we're likely to be buying in um, at a greater discount than we perhaps otherwise would because um, the world is a bit nervous. So we simply request bigger discounts than we otherwise would when we're buying into new companies. So. Would you, I mean, do you expect things to pick up slightly? Um, Say, obviously, there's lots of uncertainty hanging over the markets. Um, If and when that finally comes off, do you you think there's kind of a a big kind of backlog? There is certainly um, a backlog of companies that are wanting to raise money but are just holding off right now. Having said that, we have seen uh, over the last few months, we have seen some mid-cap companies, some FTSE 250 companies that have raised money. Uh, A couple of examples, Bovis Bovis Homes raised £150 million uh, to part fund its acquisition of Linden Homes. That'll make it the fifth largest house builder uh, in the country. Uh, WH Smith, well-known name, uh, that raised £155 million in order to purchase a US business, uh, increase its exposure to the US um, airports business. Um, that is a real growth area for, mm. for this company. You know, yeah. The UK high street is clearly declining. It's managing that decline very well. But the airports business, you know, as people obviously are traveling more and spending more money, uh, has been a real success. There have been companies raising money, albeit I would say looking forward into 2020 once uh, the election is out the way. Mm. And, you know, assuming the, the growth prospects for global growth continue to look you know, reasonable, then I would concur. I would expect there would be uh, an increase in in fundraisings next year. Uh, looking at that kind of uncertainty for now, I mean, as with kind of previous Brexit developments, people have kind of expected resolutions and they haven't come. We've had a few false dawns. How, as an investor, can you kind of navigate that uncertainty um, in terms of kind of portfolio composition? Yeah, very, very simply, um, you know, we always keep a broad, well-diversified portfolio, you know, no matter what the market conditions, but I would suggest that at this moment in time, it's even more important. Um, We have uh, 60 to 80 companies uh, in our portfolio, which is well-diversified across size and sector. We can certainly be uh, tough on price. As I mentioned, we are buying companies, you know, at a discount to their prevailing market price. And in times of market uh, stress and dislocation that we have seen at times this year again we will be requesting bigger discounts in order to participate in the deals um, so that gives us you know that does give us some downside protection and i guess there are also some 
uh, potential big moves sort of coming down the way. So uh, investors are increasingly looking at what will happen with sterling, whether we'll see kind of more of a rebound. Uh, there's some talk of, for example, uh, kind of value stocks looking on a bit of a better footing than they have done for some time. On a similar note, people are looking more closely at kind of UK domestic facing companies. Are those things that you're kind of trying to shift the portfolio to kind of get ready for? Yes, good, very good question. Um, yes, is the answer. One of the advantages of the UK market is it does have a good overseas earnings profile. You know, more than half of mm. the earnings are from overseas. So over the last three years, you know, we have certainly favoured companies that have some kind of earnings, overseas earnings profile. Um, and actually, we always like companies that have got some form of overseas earnings because it just gives them some protection in case the UK isn't isn't so strong. And of course, a company that is good in the UK should also be able to export its services overseas. So it, it does make sense. We've got a funny situation in the UK at the, at the moment where it's quite a polarised market. You've got sort of UK orientated value stocks that are often trading on relatively modest earnings. Um, and then you've got the more growth end, more internationally diversified that are perhaps trading on, you know, quite high multiples, sort of yeah. 20 times price earnings ratio, you know, relative to the perhaps eight times um, for the UK domestics. And to me, this is quite a big differential and, and one that cannot go on forever. I mean, that gap's so, been huge, hasn't it? It's kind of reached almost historic ex- levels. Ex- exactly. We... We do like companies that, that grow and are growing, um, and some of them, of course, are on um, you know pretty um, pretty decent ratings. But certainly over the last year, I have been very aware of, of the value that is prevalent in the UK stock market, um, the UK domestic names. Um, so just a few examples. We mentioned Bovis Homes that recently raised some money, uh, but we've recently bought into a company called Breeden, uh, which is a materials and aggregates business. Uh, the largest shareholder was selling down a, a large uh, a large block of stock, and we bought in at a ten percent discount. It's it's a relatively modestly rated company, uh, and of course, you know, it's very exposed to the UK uh, the UK building uh, market. We also bought a company or added to a holding in Duke Royalty, uh, which is a small cap company, uh, lends to smaller mid sized companies. Uh, mortgage length term lending, so sort of 20 to 30 years, much longer than what companies would be able to borrow from their bank, which gives them real you know, real security. Um, again, it's a company that as it lends to more companies, its earnings stream uh, grows and the diversity of it grows uh, and the dividends that it's able to pay its investors will, will grow as well. So we are, you know, I'm cognizant of the fact that UK domestic companies have a lot of bad news baked into the prices and, and we do see some opportunities in in that area you know especially as the general election gets out of the way and and uh, the uk's future relationship with the eu is is, is is sorted out and how does that feed through into um kind of size of companies market cap um are you do you find yourself sort of looking at the smaller end a bit more or we have seen um We've certainly seen a revival in money being raised in the mid-caps in recent months. You know, mm. I've just spoken about some of the examples of Bovis and WH Smith. Yeah. Um, you can also add 3i Infrastructure raised uh, some money as well and another company called Primary Health Properties. So we have seen some more uh, mid-caps. 
Um, as I said, in the small cap area, um, for the right companies with the right stories and the right track record, there's still been um, the ability to raise money. Um, and, and going forward, I would expect um, I would expect that to continue as the economic situation and the, and the political situation becomes clearer. I mean, as we mentioned earlier, there is somewhat of a backlog awaiting, uh, and I would expect an increase in the amount of money to be, that's being raised, particularly by UK UK domestic companies. Mm. You know, we're relatively uh, relaxed about whether it's large cap, mid cap, or small caps raising money. What you tend to see is a balance of those. You know, we like to invest in large caps because typically they are more diversified businesses, uh, probably more stable. Um, but you know, amongst the mid cap. Um, you've seen a large rally over recent months in the mid-cap area, uh, and the small caps haven't yet followed. So, so my feeling is, is in the fullness of time, the small caps uh, have got some catching up to do. There's some very modestly valued companies uh, in in that area as well. That's interesting. Is there any particular reason of that for that disparity between small and mid-cap? Or uh, I think it's easier for investors to get money into the the FTSE 250 companies um, simply because they're more liquid. So if you're an overseas investor, and remember overseas investors have been um, very cautious about investing in the UK at the moment because of the political situation. So I think you're starting to see some of them um, looking at the UK and starting to tentatively put money back in, which means putting into the FTSE 100. But if they want real exposure to the UK domestics, then really they want to be buying the FTSE 250. And that's where the money's been going, and it's much easier to get money in there. If they start, as that trickle-down effect, as that starts going into the small-cap area where there is less liquidity, you know, I would expect to see some price rises there uh, in order mm. to catch up. Interesting. So I guess as if and when confidence kind of further increases in the UK, perhaps you'll see that yes. move down. Yeah. And, and actually you would expect um, the, the small-caps to outperform the, yeah. the mid-caps and, and, and the large-caps, certainly. And, and that's what we would expect to see over the next, uh, the next year or so. Interesting. Another big issue this year, another big development for investors has been what's going on with uh, Woodford Investment Management. And I suppose that's created a separate opportunity for some UK equity investors because you mentioned earlier you can get four sellers. Woodford has been a, and continues to be, or the fund continues to be a four seller. How are things looking there? And have you sort of spotted anything you've been able to kind of pick up at a cheap price? Yes, yeah, so BlackRock have now actually um, sort of taken over yeah. the the running and the the winding down, if you like, of the uh, listed part of the Woodford Equity Income Fund. Before that happened, um, you know, when the the fund ran into trouble, and just before and just after it was suspended, we did pick up some stocks on on the back of uh, the fund uh, the fund's difficulties. We added to our holding in a company called Ten Entertainment Group, uh, which is the second largest temp and bowling company in the UK. Company that we like, uh, it's modestly valued, pays a good dividend, and the shares were at a dep- depressed level because its larger shareholder was was Woodford Investment Management. Um, we were then able to, with along with other investors, were able to bid um, Woodford Investment Management for its stock. We bid it at a discount to where the shares were trading at. So in, in a way, we felt we were getting a double discount. The shares were already depressed. There was an overhang there. We bought in at a discount to that. And once the discount was cleared, you've seen the shares rebound, and they're up around about 20% from what we paid back in June. Uh, we also bought a company called Morse's Club, which is a non-standard finance lender. 
Again, Woodford was the largest shareholder. Shares were depressed, and us and other shareholders, um, us, us and other institutions, um, bid Woodford Investment Management for the stock and, and, and cleared them out of that, cleared the overhang. Um, and another one was IP Group, which is an investor in uh, sort of smaller early stage companies. Again, Woodford, very large holder. Shares were depressed on on the back of that, uh, and we bought in at a you know a double digit discount. What we're always looking to do is is buy good quality companies, and you know our belief is that certainly uh, there's not everything we want to buy that's in the Woodford uh, Equity Income Fund, but there were some stocks that we think are, are good quality companies and were trading at uh, unusually low levels because of this overhang. Um, so we were very happy to be able to step in you know, with other institutions, of course, uh, and provide that li- liquidity to them, but also get a really good price for our investors. Mm. Are we still seeing that activity as BlackRock now, as you say, kind of starts to wind up the listed part of the yeah, fund? Yeah, the, there could well be some other opportunities. Um, I think we've, we may have had the majority of the sell-downs. In terms of the the fund's composition, your fund, is there anything else you're looking to move around? For example, as kind of opportunity sets change in markets, sometimes people change the concentration of their funds, level of diversification, that kind of thing? You know, we always look to run a well-diversified fund regardless of conditions. We just think that's uh, sensible investment management and, and we look to hold 60 to 80 holdings in the fund, which is, is where we currently stand. Um, at the moment, um, more than 60% of the fund is invested in the FTSE 100, which is unusually high uh, in the fullness of time. Uh, I guess over the next year or so, I would expect that to come down towards our more long-term average of 50%. And we've been happy having a greater concentration to large caps because typically they've got greater exposure to overseas earnings. Um, we have been cautious on the UK for obvious reasons over the last few years, which has been you know the right decision. But as we've spoken about earlier, you know we have over the last year or so seen greater value emerge in the UK, and we've started to try and add to our holdings in. Uh, the mid-cap space. Um, we have been underweight in the mid-caps. We're still a little bit underweight, but we are looking to close that gap. Um, and in the fullness of time, I would expect us to be a bit overweight mid-caps. Uh, we're always overweight small caps. Around about 25% of the fund is currently in small caps, and I'm, I'm sort of happy with that level at the moment. could go slightly higher um, because we do expect to see opportunities there in 2020, but we always want to have a, a well-diversified fund with plenty of uh, exposure to large, mid and small caps. Mm, okay. And beyond what we've discussed, are there any other kind of issues in the markets, developments that perhaps investors should be keeping an eye on at the minute? Yeah, well, the stock market is, is in my mind, um, sort of pricing in a conservative majority at the UK election. Um, that's what the polls are telling us. But as we know, polls are not always right and, and voters are, are more volatile than ever. Our concern would be if the majority doesn't come about, the most likely uh, next outcome uh, would be a coalition government that would be formed. And I think that would create some weakness uh, in sterling and in, in the UK market, because it may well be that the UK's deal with the EU is put in some doubt, which could lead to a, a hard Brexit. It also could lead to a second referendum, which is just going to increase the uncertainty in the country. Uh, and of course, hold up any investment that uh, has been, frankly, been uh, held up for the last uh, two or three years. I think also, 
Um, you know, the UK growth rate is is frankly tepid, and a slowdown in the global or US economies would uh, clearly affect our UK economy, and it may actually tip us over into you know negative growth and potential recession. And that's not really being priced in in the UK at the moment, albeit the UK does trade on a relatively low multiple relative to other developed markets. Okay. Well, we'll, uh, we'll see uh, in future. But thanks, Oliver. Some really interesting points. That's the end of today's show. But do have a look at Investors Chronicle or investorschronicle.co.uk for our latest analysis on funds and personal finance. From the case for using annuity to the ins and outs of investment trust discounts. Thanks for listening and have a good weekend. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.